1: It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcons Flyover. With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is John Chuckery Show, live on this Wednesday evening with you. Hey, get at the heart of the NFL with the In the Huddle podcast. Former offensive lineman Brian Baldinger, NFL insider Jason LaConfora, and uh, Carl Dukes. Put him up. Uh, they take you around the league, give you the inside scoop as to what's going on. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Follow In the Huddle for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast from. 404 That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929 the game At JMSH316, he's at underscore Dylan Matthews. We will talk to Chris Willis coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. But this, of course, night look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So this is a fun little stat from D-Led on Sunday. And I thought A.J. Terrell really played well and really took Amari Cooper out of that game. Here's the stat that D-Led had on his Twitter earlier today. Cornerback A.J. Terrell aligned across uh, Amari Cooper on 27 of the 34 routes, 79% shadow, in the 23-20 win over the Browns. Terrell held Cooper to one catch- for 9 yards on 4 targets. Um, blanketing the wide receiver by only allowing an average target separation of 1.6 yards that comes from NetGen stats. So, AJ Terrell is back, baby. He's back. I and I look, it looked like they had taken Cooper out of that game and they don't have a lot of great wide receivers, good tight ends. Obviously, they throw to Kareem Hunt a decent amount, so good all the way around. You know, it's funny. Dylan, you know, we always like to be ahead. I I, I knew this was going to happen this week, that I said this last week on the show. I said it with Tori last week that I thought the only person we would get an update on this week coming off of IR was Isaiah Oliver. And I told you, I thought they'd bring Oliver back. And I thought they'd activate him this week on the 53. They may wait another week before they activate him on the 53. But I said, the only guy you're going to hear about that they're going to bring back for now is Isaiah Oliver. And I said, I don't plan on seeing Davidson. I said, if they brought Mayfield back, they're going to put him on the practice squad or something or release him or something.
3: Well, you know, we know what it is, Chuck. The, The Atlanta Falcons... Have seen how the Atlanta Braves have followed Joe blueprint. They obviously listen to the show, and whatnot. They got the Odyssey app in the in the dugout. So the Falcons are doing the same thing. You well, know, they they saw that, got the
1: Braves a World Series championship. listening to you. Now they're they're taking your the, advice, the, and I appreciate that. The the reality is, there's no. First off, there's no reason to bring Jalen Mayfield back. There's no reason to bring Marlon Davidson back. And I said this then. I'm saying it now. And as far as Deion Jones, I've said for months on this show, here, Wade Ford, wherever you want to find me, on any of the thousand different shows I'm on, I don't think Deion Jones ever plays another down for the Atlanta Falcons. I don't think he does. How did Deion Jones go on the pup list with just a quick, simple little cleanup, come back for Jacksonville, then all of a sudden it was, ooh, my arm. He went Rodney. He went Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack with the broken arm. Ooh, my arm. I think it's broken. How'd that all happen? Oh, I know. Random happenstance, coincidence, the the stars aligning in the universe on all this stuff, right? Until I get proven wrong, I haven't missed a beat about any of that stuff. Not a single thing. Haven't had one musical note out of tune in describing that whole situation. And you still, here we are, first day at practice. Hadn't heard a word except for... Isaiah Oliver, huh? And I told you that'd be the guy that was most likely going to come back. Now, Kyle Pitts did not practice today because of a hamstring injury. I'll say the same thing I told Tori. I'm not concerned or worried yet about Kyle Pitts and his hamstring. However, I don't like to hear the word pass catcher and hamstring be used in the same sentence. I don't like when those words come together to describe the condition of somebody, okay? If you're a pass catcher, I don't want to hear about your hamstring. Hamstrings are supposed to be like umpires. The best ones are never heard about. That's I don't want to hear a word about your hamstring. It is what it is. Again, Friday's Friday is your D-Day in the NFL. If you don't practice Friday very doubtful that you will play on Sunday. That's always in the NFL your day to watch is Friday. Don't practice Friday. Don't expect to be seen on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. I'm not concerned yet. Isaiah Oliver was back at practice. I won't say I told you so, but... Anyway, let's get to some audio. Speaking of Isaiah Oliver, let's get to him first. Here's him talking about how his knee needed a little bit more time.
3: Um, Just talking to coach about it, um, we just felt like I needed probably a couple more weeks really to feel more comfortable. Um, And so, I mean, we thought about just doing like, you know, the inactive route, just being inactive on game day and doing it that way. But um, we kind of just came up with a solution that like four weeks would probably be the best spot for me. Even if it felt like it was one week too long, you know, that's not the end of the world. Um, Just to kind of give myself just that comfortability um, and kind of just being comfortable we have to go back out there. So um, I'm excited to be back out there
1: now for sure. Okay, the other part of this. D Alford had a really good camp. He played well in the preseason. There was no need to have to rush Isaiah Oliver back. That did you notice how you heard him say, we thought we might just go inactive in this day. Had D. Alford fallen on his face and not played well? I'm not talking about in-game. I'm talking about Training camp, preseason, if he looked like a complete bust or whatever, they would have done that first part. I'm telling you, they would have made him inactive week by week and played it out for a couple of weeks and get him back in there. But D. Alford has played well enough that they didn't have to rush him back. But in a league where there's no no coach has ever said, man, I've got too many defensive backs to cover guys. Nobody says that in today's NFL. We just got too many defensive backs. We need to just shut some of them down. Alford made that decision easier. Let's put him on short-term IR. We can get by with it for a month. And Dylan, ask me who made the interception to win the game on Sunday. Who made that interception? (laughs) That's why. Here's Oliver uh, talking about he's not sure if he'll be activated this week.
3: Um, I don't know. we kind of going off this week of practice, um, kind of as a determining factor. Because um, kind of like I said, I felt like I was really probably ready like last week. Um, but we kind of just had that extra week just to be 100%. Um, but, yeah, kind of go, going off this week's practice, um, the game plan and things like that.
1: Dylan, ask me why there isn't a sense of urgency to have to run him back out on the starting lineup. Why isn't there D such Alford? a <laughs> – That's why this isn't hard. Like, this is not brain surgery to figure all this stuff out. Read the tea leaves, they'll tell you. Let's go to my guy. I hope Hugh Douglas has his ears covered, Chris Lindstrom uh lindstrom talking about how arthur smith has been the catalyst for our identity
2: I, I think you nailed it right there it's just he set that standard of what we're going to be and what we're going to be as a team and the identity that brings and you don't uh change that week to week you know you don't get a pep talk it's like the way you come to work at practice and um it started you know last year and you know we've been building it and growing it and look forward to continuing to do that
1: as we said yesterday Chris Lindstrom is the second-highest-graded offensive lineman regardless of position in the league, and he is tied as the best run-blocking offensive lineman with Andrew Thomas of the Giants. He's tied with him for number one in run-blocking in the league. You ain't going to find a bigger supporter, bigger booster. If you follow me on Twitter, JMCH316. When I get good news about Lindstrom, I put it out there. I love Chris Lindstrom. You know why? Because you don't have to talk about him. You don't have to. It ain't Jalen Mayfield. Here's another sack. Here's Drew Dahlman with another muff snap. Here's this. Here's that. Here's a guy running around your right tackle. You don't have to ever talk about Lindstrom. By the way, if you get a chance... Watch some of the all 22 from the Browns game and watch why Lindstrom got a 97 grade. Let me repeat why Lindstrom got a 97 grade. He is an outstanding offensive lineman that is coming into his own. And let me tell you, he's going to, you know, all that money y'all keep telling me about. Guess who's going to get a big chunk of that money coming up? Chris Lindstrom. Because he's got his fifth year option next year. And then it's Asta lasagna you don't get any on you if you don't re-sign them. And they're going to give him a whole crap ton of money. Those are the kinds of guys you build around that you drafted and developed. And they are, that's our Tristan Wirfs, folks. I've been screaming for our Tristan Wirfs. That's our Tristan Wirfs. First team, all NFL caliber guy. One more from Lindstrom talking about... Um, Alex Mack taught me how to play on the offensive line, and it's boring. Blah 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 blah
2: blah uh, We just have a lot of reps built with each other, so we have you know hundreds or thousands of reps and combinations, and we go out and work them every single day. And uh, something that Alex Mack told me when I was rookie is that offensive line play is really boring, and it's like really getting consistency and getting uh you know getting comfortable with the daily uh small tasks and just really trying to focus on that continue to grind on it and
1: not overlooking anything well his smalls are adding up to a big deal because he's been outstanding this year all right i want to grab one from arthur smith presser i want that first cut they are going to be patient with their ir guys
2: with all the players i mean you're you're evaluating that medically and we're going to do what's best for the players and and um that's kind of guides our decision. What's best for the player and where they they're medically where they're at, and you trust the people, the professionals, in, the, in that space. And uh, we have open conversations with all our players about it. But at the end of
1: the day, we're always going to do what's best for the player, their health and safety, and then for the team. Didn't they say the same thing about Tua? Oh, I I'm, I'm not arguing with Coach on that, but let me assure you. Let me assure you, there is zero urgency to get any of those other guys back. And again, we're talking about three starters from last year's squad. Mayfield played every game last year. I think Davidson, did he play every game or did he miss a couple of games because he was hurt? And Debo obviously played all of last year. It's all random happenstance coincidence, huh? And they're all available. You know, those were guys that started last year. you telling me that they can't help your team this year? There's a reason for all this, folks. Read the tea leaves about it. When we come back, we'll talk to our buddy Chris Willis as uh, the Braves. Uh, I don't even see what the final score ended up uh, in that game today. Well, Braves, Braves lost 12 9. So they, they got a late field goal and couldn't cut it any closer. So we'll talk to Chris up next. Chuck in the Key Studios, Sports Radio 929 The Game and the Odyssey.com map.
0: Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Back
1: to more John Tickery. He's in the zone. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. It is a John Chuckery show, live on a Wednesday night with you as we continue to celebrate Braves winning the NL East after clinching last night, taking care of the Marlins, uh, Interesting game. Jacob deRizzi was terrific for the Braves, and yes, the Mets did sweep their doubleheader, but it really didn't matter at that point because the Braves took care of their business. So we get ready for next Tuesday when the divisional rounds will get underway. Let's head out to the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy Chris Willis. He, of course, covers the Atlanta Braves for SB Nation, managing editor at Battery Power SBN, and of course, batterypower.com is where you can check out all of his work and follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Willis. and. Chris, as always, man, I mean, it's good to finally celebrate. Hard to believe, first off, that the season is – the regular season is over, but at least we get to celebrate it, you know, with a high point from last night.
5: Yeah, it was uh, quite a ride, honestly. I mean, you know, I think think the Braves were kind of pronounced dead two or three different times. It looked bleak, uh, but, you know, they found a way to get it done.
1: You know, I thought one of the interesting things when I was looking at some numbers, you know, for the months of April and May – they were a minus-16 run differential for the first couple of months of the season. And then I believe from there, and I may be off by a run or two, but it was like with last night's game, I think a plus-199. It really does speak to how their lineup drastically changed some things around. And I talked a lot about you know, hitting, hitting with runners in scoring position, changing the dynamic of that. I don't know if that's all of it, but certainly their offense figured some things out as the weather really got warm and headed towards summertime.
5: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, you start to see that home run ball come in. We know how much of a, uh, you know, how much of a part of their offensive um, uh, system that really is. And then, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence either that, you know, Michael Harris arrived at the end of May and, uh, you know, and I think that's about the same time Spencer Strider went in the rotation and, you know, they just took off. Um, you know, they started playing like what we what we were kind of expecting coming into the season.
1: So let me ask you, Chris, who do you think, if you had to pick an MVP or most important player for the Braves this year, who would be your
5: Brave of the Year? I think it, it's a good question. And um, I, my vote would probably go to Austin Riley. Uh, but I think Michael Harris did enough in, you know, down the stretch to at least be in the conversation. But, you know, I you remember just a few years ago, it was like the Braves were looking for that middle of the order hitter every every season. You know, it was it was Josh Donaldson, it was Marcel Azuna, and then, you know, Riley just kind of blossomed into that guy. He really saved him uh, last season, 2021. You know, he became that middle of the order, and, um, you know, he just kind of carried that over this year. I don't think a lot of people expected him to duplicate that kind of season. I know he uh, cooled off a little bit down the stretch, but, you know, I just don't feel like they're there without uh, his contributions.
1: Chris Willis joining us here on the WaitFor.com hotline, covering the Atlanta Braves for SBNation, com, where you can check out all of his work. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, I think it's been there's been some disappointment about Matt Olson's glove, set I uh, uh, believe, a career high for errors. And while it's very, very slight, he is a negative defensive war player. I want to say it's literally like .1 or something like that, like a negative .1. But Dansby's been outstanding. Michael Harris has been outstanding. You know, obviously, Ronnie, when he's playing right field, is obviously a terrific fielder. How would you grade, because this has been one of the real strengths of the Braves for the last few years, has been how good defensively they are overall. How do you think they were defensively this year as compared to the last couple of years?
5: Maybe maybe not quite as good as they were last season, um, but, you know, I still think it's very adequate Uh I don't think it gets uh, talked about enough, but I think the Braves are one of the best teams when it comes to positioning. You know, uh, obviously the shift's going away, or uh, the shift as we know it now is going away next season. But, you know, I thought the Braves really done a good job uh, of, of taking advantage of that. And, they, you know, they were very aggressive in 2021 down the stretch. I think they backed off of it a little bit this time. But, you know, they've been solid up the middle all year, even with even after losing uh, the Albies. And then Michael Harris, you know, I think I don't. I think you're going to have to hunt hard to find, uh, you know, another center fielder, another outfielder. Period. That's as good as he is defensively. And you know, once he got there, it really just solidified. Uh, because they weren't a good defensive club when the season started. You know, we were talking just a minute ago about their turnaround. And I think I think that had a lot to do with it. Once Harris arrived, that outfield went from a, a net negative to a positive defensively in a hurry.
1: What do you see as any decisions as far as the roster goes? I mean, I know you and I have spent a lot of time talking about Ozuna and things like that, but, you know, knowing Strider's not going to be available, you know, Ozzy doesn't look like it's going to be available, you know, at least for this round. I don't know how many decisions that there really are. I don't know how much you really change much of anything with this roster as we head to the playoffs on Tuesday.
5: Yeah, the new roster rules, you know, kind of may take a little bit of the drama out of it. Uh, you know, 13 pitchers, 13 position players. Um, but, uh, you know, I think maybe there's I, – I really don't see a whole lot. I think it comes down to health. You know, I know they're still, they still haven't ruled Strider out. Um, obviously, I was kind of curious to see what happens with Jake Odorizzi and, uh, you know, maybe a guy like Bryce Elder. You know, I know has got some experience pitching out of the bullpen at times, too. He did so in the World Series last year against Atlanta. So, um, I, But it's not like it was, you know, it's been in the past where you see them bringing three or four guys up from Gwinnett, you know, and, and stick on the roster uh, like they did, I think it was in 2020. So uh, I'm not expecting a, a huge uh, surprise to come out of that.
1: Chris Willis uh, joining us on the waitfor.com hotline from SBNation, so we can check out all of his work. One of the things I've really liked about Michael Harris lately is him getting a chance, especially against right-handed pitching, hitting in that three-hole. He's really torn up right-handers this year, and I like the idea of taking advantage of both his speed on base and power in that three-hole. You think that Snitger will keep him there against right-handers, or do you think that Snitger will put him back at the bottom and go with that more kind of traditional lineup that that featured Harris for most of this year?
5: I really kind of think they're going to keep him at the top of the order if uh, you know against the righties. I, I, you know, I, I think it's good to drop him down, you know, against lefties because he hasn't hit them near as well. But you know, I agree with you. I like the uh, the dynamic of having him at the top more speed. And, uh, you know, just be honest. I mean, you look at the numbers. I mean, he's been as good as good a hitter as anybody they've had over the last couple of months. So, um, you know, I like him at the top of the order. I like to get, you know, I'd like to see him get as many plate appearances as possible.
1: You know, Chris, the way the playoffs are now is they're trying to cram a whole bunch into a short amount of time. And even if it does stretch out, I mean, we're talking, you know, it's still going to be late in November. But my point is, with the way that the schedule starts to get kind of condensed through the playoffs, do you expect Ronnie to play right field every day, or you think there's going to have to be some times where, given what we saw during the regular season, that they may have to DH him here or there?
5: I think we're going to see him in the outfield unless you know there's a, a significant setback or, or something. You know, I think that's the plan. I, you know, uh, Snickers talked a bunch of times about how their their best team is when Ronald's in right field and uh you know i think they tried to they gave him that 12 game stretch at at dh and and he's looked a lot more like himself since then i don't know what was what was going on really with that knee then but it seems like it's calmed down so i think i think they're hoping he's going to play right field you know every all every postseason game but obviously you know if he's if there's a any kind of setback or whatever then you know they'll have to adjust but uh I don't think it's something that they're going to uh, work in just because of the schedule, unless they have to.
1: You think that, you know, last year, Darno caught every game. You think Contreras gets a shot behind the plate, or you think that they mostly are going to use him as a DH and then obviously as an emergency catcher if they need a backup?
5: Yeah, with the uh, I think Contreras is going to see most of the DH at bats. But, you know, like you said, with this condensed schedule, um, you know, there, there may be a time that they actually swap swap places right there, you know, Travis did a yeoman's job last uh, uh, last year in the postseason, caught every single game, and really wasn't healthy the whole way through. And uh, you know, it was just huge having him behind the plate. I think they'll obviously want him to catch as much as possible, but uh, you know, I think Contreras gives them an opportunity to, you know, if they need to, they can get they can get Travis some four at bats and and keep him, you know, try to keep him fresh as well
1: think they'll platoon Rosario and Grossman in left field. Do you think that's what the plan is going to be for that position?
5: Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's why they got Grossman is to, uh, you know, to really utilize him against a, a left-handed pitching. Uh, I think Rosario probably probably there. Of course, you know, the X factor in all this is is Marcel Ozuna. Um, you know, you and I've talked to him about him uh, several times, but uh you know he 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 got two starts in that Met series at, at DH. You know it looks like looks like to me uh, I would if it was my decision it'd probably be Contreras there. But you know I think it's it's a, it's a situation it's going to be interesting to see how they play it out.
1: So you think that maybe he's just let's say it like this like he's they look at him as maybe just that big bat off the bench. Like if I need a if I need potentially to hit a three run homer coming off the bench he's a guy who could do that for me. You think that maybe is more of his role than, than he actually gets starts, you know, either at DH or left field.
5: Yeah, I think that's, that's probably where he's best suited. I do wonder if they face a left-hander on the mound, if, uh, you know, if he gets some, he steals some DH at bats. Uh, he it hasn't really been that good against lefties this season, but you know, for his career, he's hit them all right. So uh, but yeah, to me, I think that's that. I think that's his role at this point. Um, I know there's been some speculation about whether he'll make the roster at all, but I don't. I don't see him dropping him now at this. You know, where we're at currently.
1: Chris, you think that when it comes to the starting pitching, that when you look at, I, I think they're better set up this year than even last year. And I understand there's no Ian Anderson, and he was terrific. But let's say eventually they do get Strider back you think that they play the short game with their starters, meaning five, maybe six, let's get it to our bullpen? Or do you think that their starting pitching has shown this year, especially with guys like Freed and even Strider, that they feel like they can ride those guys a little bit deeper in the game because you want to get more to either a matchup with Minter and Iglesias, and then Jansen, do you, do you or do you think that they try to shorten the game up with their starters and get into their bullpen more?
5: I think it's going to be more of a case by case basis. Um, you know, I think it's worked out the last couple of seasons where they've been in that bullpen early. You know, they've really limited starters to just a couple of times through the order, unless it was Max Freed, of course. But I think this time, you know, I think if Freed's rolling, you know, they've Snickers should give him a rope before. Uh, same thing for Kyle. Probably the same thing for Kyle Wright, and even the Spencer Strider if he comes back and he's healthy. Uh, you know, I think if they're going, they'll give him a chance opportunity to get through that third third time through the order. But you know, we've also seen them shift their philosophy, and you know, I think it's one of those situations where. You'll see that hook a lot quicker. Um, even if they start that in and, you know, the bullpen's probably gonna be going and uh, you know, ready to ready to come in if needed.
1: Last question, Chris. Um I, I don't know how much it matters because I still think the Braves are, are the best team in the national league. But I, I do think that matching up in the next round against Philadelphia, I'd rather see that matchup than I would see St. Louis. Um I just think that I don't know. I get scared about this kind of mojo that the Cardinals seem to have when it comes to playoff time and it's Wainwright and Molina and Pulhos, and everybody's playing for, you know, one last legacy run. I just, I'd rather play the Phillies. I think we know what we've got in Philadelphia. It seems to me like that may be the better matchup.
5: Yeah, it almost feels like the Cardinals are in that spot the Braves were in last year where nobody was really talking about them. And, uh, uh, you know, they were the third, the third, uh, the third team in, and nobody was really talking, you know, discussing them or giving them an opportunity. So, you know, there's a lot of playoff history there, a lot of couple of bad memories for Atlanta. So, you know, I kind of agree with you. I'd rather see the Phillies. We know we know what, what you're dealing with there. And not obviously not discounting Philadelphia because they're they're a good ball club too, but just not as strong defensively, um, I think. And uh, you know, uh, like you said, the Cardinals Cardinals seem to have a lot of play for and a lot of storylines going in. So, you know, it'd be, I think it'd be advantageous if, if the Phillies pulled that upset.
1: Well, we'll find out over the weekend as we get ready for Braves baseball coming up on Tuesday as the playoffs will start in earnest for the Braves. You can follow all of his work at BatteryPower.com. Check him out on his Twitter page at Chris underscore Willis. And Chris, join us on the WaitFor.com hotline. Chris, as always, man, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for a few minutes uh, tonight. And we'll chat again here as we get ready for playoff baseball next week. Thanks, I appreciate it. You got it. John Chuckery, we'll be back. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey.com app.
4: Back to more John Chuckery. No, 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 I'm having a good
1: time. having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back with you, John Chuckry Show. Hanging out to the studios Wednesday night with you. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app site, catch on the go. Social media is at on The Game. At jm 316 he's at underscore Dylan Matthews. Hey, uh, losing a week in fantasy football means you're going to hear some smack talk from your friends. Check out the Reception Perception podcast for insights on which wide receivers to start this week to rack up a big fantasy win. Matt Harmon and James Coe have unique analysis to predict who's going to be a boom and who's going to be a bust. New episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday. Follow the reception perception for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Anyway, we'll get to What's Bug and Chuck right here in just a couple minutes. Dylan, you know... How I talk about how many of these dirtbag franchises there are in Major League Baseball. I just just want to go through this real quick. Now that the season is officially over, okay? Let's go through in the American League, okay? The Tigers, 96 wins. Or 96 losses, excuse me. Okay? 30 games below five hundred. Kansas City, 32 games below five hundred. 97 losses. The Rangers, 94 losses. The Oakland A's were 62 games below 500 with 102. No, sorry, 42. My math was wrong there. 42 games below 500 with 102 losses. The Marlins had 93 losses. The Nationals had had 106 losses. The Central Division in the National League, the Pirates had 100 losses, the Reds had 100 losses, even the Cubs had 88 losses in that division. The Diamondbacks, 88 losses. The Rockies, 94 losses. So when you hear me how the hell else do you want me to describe those scuzz bucket organizations? There are what nine teams that had 90 or more losses? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine teams that had ninety or more losses this year. What do you want me to call them? Up and comers? That's dreadful. They should not let Oakland and Washington play next year. They should legitimately fold the franchises and just disperse the players amongst other teams. They shouldn't let those teams come back. Listen to some of these numbers. The the Braves, okay? The Braves were a plus-180 run differential, right? You with me? Okay. The Nationals were a minus-245 run differential. They gave up 245 runs more than they scored this year. The Pirates were a minus-226. The Rockies were... Were a minus 175. You know what the Dodgers were this year? Plus 334. They were 334 runs scored more than they gave up. The Oakland A's minus 202. The Royals minus 170. The Yankees were a plus 240 this year in run differential. The Astros were a plus 219. There, I believe that there were nine teams that won 90 or more games too. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. So there were nine teams that won 90 or more games, and there were nine teams that lost 90 or more games. So that's 18 of the, what, 30 teams in the league that were either on one extreme or the other extreme. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You had seven teams in baseball this year that had a minus 150 or more run differential. Minus 150 or more run differential. And you had, what I say, two teams, three teams in the league that were minus 200 run differential. What do you want to call those teams, huh? Seriously, what do you want to call them? Just missed out? On the cusp? What do you want to call them? Because I'll tell you what you call them. Scuzz bucket, low life. Dirt bag, flea bag, pawn scum, bottom of the barrel, muck and sludge franchises in professional sports. And you know what they all have in common? You, you, know what the, you know what the one thing that the 100 win teams and the 100 loss teams all have in common? They're all owned by billionaires and they all got the money. It's not about competitive nature. So when somebody goes, oh,
4: why is he saying you about
1: the team? Because it's a disgrace. To be 245 runs in the negative? You score 600 runs and give up 845? The hell is that? Why are you even playing Major League Baseball at that point? You should be barred from the league to ever be allowed to go out there. Your owner shouldn't get a dollar's worth of money to put that product out there. Who would buy? I'm asking seriously. Who in the hell would buy season tickets to go watch the Nationals next year? Who the hell would buy season tickets to watch the Pirates next year? I don't care how nice their ballpark is. I don't care how cool their city is, unless I wouldn't have national season tickets if they played in my cul-de-sac, they were free, and they brought me every news girl I could ever ask for on a nightly basis. I still wouldn't take it if I had to watch the Nationals play. So what the hell term do you want to use for those scuzz bucket teams? Oakland A's and the Nationals, the Pirates. The Reds. and it's always the same group, isn't it? It's always the same group of teams. The Rockies. many Christmas. The Central had the NL Central had two 100 lost teams. They didn't have a hundred win team. St. Louis won 93 games and won that division, but they had two 100 lost teams. That's despicable. Where do you think you're going to go when your record is 55 and 106 on the season? Where in the hell do you think your franchise is headed? Rainbows and sunshine? Where do you think your franchise is headed when you're 60 and 102? And you and last se- before the season started, you traded away your not one two best players, Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. The Oakland A's traded them both and what they treat their fans to 60 and 102. You think they dropped ticket prices? You think they gave away free tickets when there were nine people showing up at the stadium and you wonder why nobody wants to go to those games you wonder why there's 15, 20 people and nine of them are the security guards at an Oakland A's game. That's disgraceful. But that's the economics of baseball, right? You think the Oakland A's lost money? You think their owner that's worth $5.1 billion is losing money? Because that's how he got 5.1 billion, right? Is making bad business decisions, right? It's a disgrace. That's why I said you could lop off half the teams in baseball, and you'd have a much better sport for. Now they would never do that, obviously. I understand all that, but it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to look at some of those teams: 55 and 106. 55 and 106. I don't think you could do that if you tried. I don't think if you threw games, cheated and and bet on the other teams and you threw games, I don't I still don't think you could get to 55 and 106. But well, the Nationals found out how to do it with a minus 245 run differential. And they have guys they paid, right? Strasburg got a quarter billion. You wonder why Soto turned down 500 million to play there? Would you play for that disgraceful organization? Would you play for any of that? For a franchise that's 55 and 106? I don't care how much. You know what I said? I wouldn't watch him for free in my cul de Guess what Juan Soto said? I wouldn't play for half a billion if you gave it to me. Think about that. Think about that. A guy who came up through the organization said, you know what? You keep your half a billion. I'd rather go somewhere else than play for this disgusting organization, than play for this dirtbag, bag, bag pawn scum organization. Because what else do you want to call a team that goes 55 and 106? Do you know how many games out of first they finish this year? 45 and a half games out of first. Their season, when did the baseball season start this year? Roughly, roughly. I, I'm not asking for, like, oh. what, What roughly what time, when was it? End of March, early April. Okay, early April, say. Yeah. Okay, because remember, that the strike put them back. Oh, that's right. End up like, the 9th yeah. of April, okay? Right. The national season was over on December 11th of the previous year. That's how bad that organization is. They didn't even wait till April to get their season over with. It was over in December when their owner came back from the winter meetings. Their season was already over. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of these franchises. Don't say nothing. Why are you saying that? Because they're scuzz buckets. What do you want to call a team that goes 55 and 106 or goes 60 and 102? What do you want to call them? Just ran into some bad luck this year. Boy, we just had a couple of balls that didn't bounce our way. Just a couple of things went wrong. Or we might have been closer to, I don't know. 51 games under 500. Good lord! All right, we get back from that. Was that close enough to a what's bugging Chuckery? I think that that was a what's bugging. That wasn't even my topic for what's bugging Chuckery. But I started looking at the stand because I heard the standings coming in today, and I started and I was like, "You got to be kidding me with these professional franchises! You have to be kidding me. The Pirates shouldn't be allowed." to hold spring training next year. They should be removed from Major League Baseball. There's no reason for them to show up in February wherever the hell their spring training facility is. They should put a padlock on it tonight and never let them back in. It's disgraceful. All right, we're going to play part of Alex Anthopoulos with Dukes and Bell. And then we'll comment on all of that. It's up next, Chuck the K Studios, Sports Radio 99 the Game The Odyssey.com app.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?